0: Hey, this is Kenan Clark. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of my podcast. I really do believe it is gonna bless you and leave you better than it found you. And I wanted to ask if this ministry has blessed you at all, would you prayerfully consider becoming one of our ministry partners? Our overall ministry, not just the podcast, but our overall ministry would not be possible if it weren't for the generosity of people who believe in it. Would you prayerfully consider becoming one of our monthly ministry partners? If you'd like to partner with us financially, there is a link in the show notes. Just go down to the show notes, tap the link. You can give as little or as much as the spirit leads you to, but we are so thankful for your seed that you are sowing into this good ground. But hey, here's this episode of the podcast. And uh, if you're online, we love you so much. Um, How cool is it that we get to impact people all over the world through what God is doing here at Young Adults? It's insane, literally, it's quite literally insane what God is doing here at Young Adults. Uh, I don't normally talk about this stuff, um, but content that has been preached and was prepared for our young adult service this last month reached 3 million individual people on the internet. How crazy is that? Three million, there's no duplicates in that. Three million individual people. Crazy what God is doing in these days. Crazy what God is doing in San Angelo, Texas. And uh, I'm honored to be a small part of that, honored to have you along the journey and uh, praying that God blesses you this evening. But without any further ado, are you guys ready for the word? Come on, come on. Michael's ready for the word, my man. All right, let's go. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to go to Matthew Chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15, we're gonna start our reading at verse 32 and we will read through verse 34. Matthew chapter 15, start reading through verse 32 into verse 34. Man, God messed me up this morning in this passage of scripture. Uh, typically, my messages are you know, built over a week uh, most of the time, it just looks like me kind of letting, you know, the thoughts and the, the different things, the things I'm reading and the things that God's showing me kind of steep in a crock pot on the inside of me. Um, and then sometimes God just stays a little quiet and then dumps it all on me. Uh, today was one of those dump it all on you kind of days. And so uh, this is hot, hot, hot off the press, all right, and uh, very excited for what uh, I believe God wants to share tonight. Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, if you didn't bring a Bible, we brought it for you, says this, this Then Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have had nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint along the way. Verse 33 says this, and the disciples said to him, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place or in such a wilderness? Some translations say, to feed so great a crowd. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. Seven and a few small fish. Um, Over the next couple moments, I wanna preach a message that I'm simply calling this. In fact, I have two titles, okay? This message came to me so quick, I couldn't decide on a title, so you're gonna get both of them. So you can write them both down or pick which one you like, okay? The first title is this. Don't forget the bread. Don't forget the bread. The second title is this, my working title, my fun title is I'm not the breadwinner. I'm not the breadwinner. Cool, awesome. Let's pray and allow God to just have his way tonight. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the next couple moments that we are gonna share. Lord, I thank you that you are gonna move. Lord, people did not come to hear Keenan Clark. Keenan Clark is extremely average. Keenan Clark doesn't have great things to say, but God you have incredible things to say. Only you have the words of eternal life. You told that to Peter. And Lord, I pray that we would hear those words tonight. Lord, come and do in this place what only you can do. Lord, make these next couple moments actually matter for the grand scheme of our life. God, I'm asking you to put something so deep in these hearts that they cannot get rid of it. Let it be like a rock in their shoe, that everywhere they go, they are constantly reminded of what you dropped in their soul tonight. Lord, I'm asking you to do this because only you can. Lord, put me on like a glove and go to work. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, "Amen." come on, amen. Have you ever felt unprepared? Have you ever felt unprepared? That's not a rhetorical question. Okay, you can actually. I am what they call a holler back preacher, by the way, which all that means is I preach better and shorter, okay, and shorter, the louder you get and the more verbally involved you get. Okay, so if you hear something like you like, you can say amen. You can say come on with it, you can say preach it, white boy. Okay, I don't know what you need to say, but 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 say it, all right? Have you ever felt unprepared. Praise the Lord. I am not in the church of the chosen frozen. Okay. I have felt unprepared in my life a time or two. Okay. I remember one particular moment though, um, was when I was about 15, 14, 15 and my dad, decided that we were going to do an adventure race, an adventure race. And essentially what this adventure race um, was comprised of was we had a 15-mile bike ride through wooded trails. Okay, this was not just head down the street. It was up and down through wooded trails, bobbing and weaving uh, trees, the couple of them we have, okay, in Texas. Um, And then after the bike ride, that was followed by a, a, a two-mile kayak, okay? A two-mile kayak. And then uh, uh, after the kayak, you had to do a six-mile trek, okay? And you basically, has anyone ever gone geocaching? Geocaching. I am dating myself big time right now. I am an old man. I have been geocaching, okay? <laughs> back when GPSs were not readily available on your phone, all right? That was, it was back when the dinosaurs lived. Okay, think about that. Okay, so we had to do geocaching. I'm not even gonna explain it to you because you don't care, okay? And uh, we did a six mile trek. Then after the trek, we had to go and do some, art, like some shooting, all right? We had to shoot these targets and we had to hit all the targets before we could move on with the race. And then after the targets, we had to then go to the final, station. And that was, you had to repel down a 100 foot cliff, right? Okay. So my dad's like, Kenan, we're going to do an adventure race. And we brought along uh, Weston as well. So we go out there. Uh, This was at Camp Eagle. I don't know if anyone knows about Camp Eagle. Uh, Some of you do here in Texas, but we got an amazing place called Camp Eagle. We went there, they were hosting it and we get all the way out there. And my dad has talked up this, this whole experience, right? He's like, we're gonna bike ride. We're gonna kayak. We're gonna trek. We're gonna shoot. We're gonna repel. It's gonna be an amazing time. And we get there and all we bring to this adventure race are bicycles. So I'm confused. I'm like, dad, I, I thought there was more to this than biking. He's like, you're gonna see. So all of a sudden, the day of the race comes. We get up super early. I wheel my little, it was actually a Dasani bicycle. Like the water, Dasani, they made a bike, okay? And that's what I had because my great-grandmother won it in a Walmart ra- raffle, okay? And she gave it to me. So I have my Dasani, okay? Sponsored by Dasani. Dasani bicycle, right? I get it up to the, the, the starting line, and we're all there. And I'm wondering, like, how is this going to work out, I've got my Camelback and my bicycle, okay? But I'm gonna have to repel 100 feet. I'm gonna have to shoot. I don't got a gun on my person. I'm tripping out right now. My dad said, chill, dude, chill. You'll see. So all of a sudden, they shoot the little gun. Okay, they had a gun, I did not. (laughs) But they shoot the little gun, we're off to the races. So I'm on my Dasani bike and I'm pedaling and we go 15 miles, right? 15 miles through Camp Eagle. Finally, the bike is over and I'm like, here we go. My dad's really gotten us into one. I lay my bike over, I'm like, all right, we're supposed to kayak now. All right, what is this? What are we gonna do? And all of a sudden we round a corner and there are kayaks lying there on the ground. There are life jackets lying there on the ground. There are oars lying there on the ground. So naturally, I begin to pick up a life jacket, pick up an oar, and pick up a canoe, and we begin the kayaking experience. So we kayak the two miles. All of a sudden, we get out of the kayak. We trek the six miles. I brought my two feet. I was good on that part, okay? We trek the six miles doing something called geocaching, which I already told them I'm not gonna tell you about, all right? Once we're done with that, we now have to shoot. We go over to the shooting station, and sure enough, they go, here's your gun, sir. Oh well thanks. <laughs> well thank you. They give me the ammo. They tell me there's there, there's the target, you little whippers never. And, and I, I pull the little rifle up and I just begin to throw rounds down range. You know, I'm going at it. Finally, you know, after a good while and a lot of bullets, I hit all the targets, okay? And we move on. And now I'm like, all right, I, I kind of get what's going on, but I'm like, there better be repelling gear. Okay, there better be ropes, there better be harnesses, and there better be something I've heard called carabiners, okay? And they better all be there, okay? So finally, I get over to the 100-foot cliff, and they begin to put my harness on me. They throw a rope around me. They give me the carabiners, okay? And all of a sudden, I repel. They gave me a helmet too, by the way, okay? My brain damage was from something else, all right? (laughs) And they allowed me to repel down this 100 foot cliff. I'm gonna be honest with you. I was this close to not starting that race at all because I felt I didn't have what I needed in order to do everything we were supposed to do. You want me to kayak? I didn't bring a kayak. You want me to shoot? I don't got a gun. You want me to repel? I sure as heck don't got no harness, okay? (laughs) Or repelling gear, but the crazy thing was, is that even though I wasn't prepared as I just committed, everything I needed showed up when I needed it, as it was needed. And can I tell you tonight, that is an exact picture of what our lives with God look like. Some of you are waiting until you have it all figured out and you feel completely and utterly prepared for everything that God has for you in order for you to get running. And God says, no, I don't work when you feel completely prepared. I work when you finally get committed. That's where your life in Christ is found. It's not found in feeling completely prepared for every little nook, cranny, pocket, corner, and crevice he is going to ask you into. It is in staying committed to this leg of the race he's asked you to run. That's what it is. It's not in feeling prepared, it's in coming committed. And can I tell you tonight, in Matthew chapter 15, we have not only one person, not only two, not only 250. We have a multitude of a minimum of 4,000 people who came unprepared. They came unprepared. There is an entire multitude of people who came to something and did not prepare for what they came to. Jesus says this, these people have been with me for three days and they didn't bring any food. They came to hear Jesus talk, but evidently they didn't realize they were signing up for a three-day seminar. <laughs> They're like, I can just imagine. Like, it's kind of hard to personalize what the Bible calls a multitude. Like, it's just like, you just see a big crowd of people and you honestly wanna stay away from it, okay? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with talking to crowds, but I don't really love being in them, if I'm being honest with you. Like, I just I don't. Anxiety, Right? But you can just imagine, you just think about a crowd and you get weird feelings, but let's narrow it down. That crowd is made up of people. So let's imagine that there's this young couple in the crowd that are, that are there to hear Jesus teach. You can just imagine they wake up one morning and the husband's like, hey babe, um, I heard there's this dude. He's a, he used to be a carpenter. He's from Nazareth. He's teaching on the seaside, doing crazy stuff. Miracles, signs, wonders, all this stuff is following him. But the craziest thing is the stuff he says. And it's like, I hear it's awesome. You wanna go check it out? She's like, yeah, let's. Let's go. Let's go check it out. And so all of a sudden, you can imagine they begin to get ready for their day. And all of a sudden, the husband grabs the keys off the counter and he begins to head out. And she goes, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't you want to like, you want maybe take some food? <laughs> you want to take some food for the journey? You want to take some snacks or something? He's like, no, nah, church is always over before noon. We're good. Okay. We will be back before noon. No doubt. I just want to go and check it out and see what happens. So all of a sudden, they peruse their way down. their food foodless. You can imagine they pop open their little lawn chairs and take a sit, and all of a sudden, Jesus begins to speak. Jesus begins to teach. Not only that, but he begins to heal the sick. He begins to open blind eyes, open deaf ears, loose, mute tongues, crazy things are happening. And all of a sudden, that couple is sitting there in their lawn chairs, and noon comes, and noon goes. The crazier thing is that the next day's noon comes. And the new, and noon goes. And then the day after that's noon comes and the noon goes. They have now been sitting there in their lawn chairs watching Jesus, listening to Jesus for three days straight. Notice this they did not come prepared. They didn't come prepared for a three day seminar. They didn't come prepared for this, but nonetheless, listen to me, they were committed. They didn't come prepared, but that didn't stop them from being committed. All of a sudden, noon came and noon went. And I can just imagine the husband looks at his watching the, the wife. Of course, it's the wife. She's always got to be the voice of discernment, the voice of truth. I mean, at least that's the way it is in our marriage, okay? And she just hits him like, I, I, let's not worry about it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus isn't done talking. And noon comes and noon goes. And then all of a sudden, the next day, noon comes and noon goes. And they're like, oh, but, 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 but Jesus is, he's still teaching, he's still talking. I'm hanging on his every word. And then all of a sudden, the next day's noon comes and the noon goes, but, but Jesus is not done teaching. He's not done talking. He's not done healing. He's not done doing his stuff. All of a sudden, even though they weren't prepared, they were still committed. And I wonder if there's, I wonder if there's a generation I wonder if our generation is okay with me challenging us to raise our commitment. I know that you don't feel prepared. Can I be honest with you? Can I just be really honest? I in no way feel prepared for the things that God has for me. I don't, can I be really real? Most of the time, I don't feel prepared to do this again a week from now. I'm like, God, that was a literal miracle that that just worked. Like, I preached and people gave their lives to you. Like, how did it happen? How am I going to do this again next week? I don't feel prepared. I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't have all the ideas. I don't have these perfect things to say. But guess what? It's never been about me being prepared. It's about me being committed. That's what Jesus is asking. He's not looking for your preparation. He's looking for your commitment. There are things God is going to ask you to do. There is literally no human way you could prepare for them. Literally no way. You know how I know that? Because 2 Corinthians, or it's 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says this, that what God has planned cannot be known by the eye, cannot be heard by the ear, nor has it ever come into the hearts of man. What God has prepared for those who love him. Notice who does the preparation. Not you. What God has prepared. I don't know about you, but I don't know how to prepare for what my eyes haven't seen, what my ears have not heard, what has never darkened the doorstep of my heart. I don't know how to prepare for that, but I can say, you know what, God, come hell or high water. I'm committed. You know, for some of you, this is what this looks like. It looks like you saying yes to Jesus. You're like, he's gonna forgive my sins. He's gonna make a space. For me in heaven, he's going to completely forgive me. He's never going to leave me nor forsake me. Sure, I'll sign up to follow Jesus. And then all of a sudden, two weeks in, Jesus comes and taps on your shoulder. He says, hey, um, by the way, I need you to change your major. Uh, Yeah, like the career path you're on, you called you to that. I did not. Your, your, Your parents called you to that. I did not. I need you to change it. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought this was just about a ticket to heaven and like getting my sins forgiven and like having a, you know, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, if that's even a scripture, which it is, okay. Um, and you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. God, I'm, I wasn't prepared for that. And he says, I, I know, but are you committed? I know you weren't prepared for that. I know you weren't prepared to change the trajectory of your life, but are you committed? Maybe for you, it looks like you, find, you sign up to follow Jesus or maybe you recommit to following Jesus. And then two weeks in, he says, hey, um, by the way, yeah, the guy or the girl you're with, they ain't it. Like I know I, I, I know, like they're, they're your thing and they're your flavor, and, but they're not mine for you. You go, God, I wasn't prepared for this. And God says, I know you're not prepared but I still need you to be committed. There are things, listen to me, there are things God is going to ask of you. There is literally no human way you can prepare for it. That's why God says, I don't need you to be prepared. I need you to be committed. That's why the Lord says this, that he will fill your mouth when you go and speak before kings. Go and read about that in the New Testament. Go read the book of Acts. These average, ordinary men go and stand before these religious big wigs and the Lord just fills their mouth on the spot. They have no education. They don't know up from down, left from right, right from wrong. But then all of a sudden, the spirit of God hits them and they're able to do things in their own right they should not be able to do. There are things God will ask of you there's no way to prepare for, but you can still commit. These two people in this crowd that I'm, I'm just kind of imagining are there because this crowd, they came for, to listen to Jesus, but they didn't come to sit there for three days, yet they were committed. You know, most of us, we want a full-time God, and we offer him part-time devotion. God, I want you to be full-time and you make up the difference for me working part-time. And I'm not talking about working for your salvation. Don't twist this. I'm not talking about working for your ticket to heaven. I'm not talking about working for the favor of God. I'm talking about leaning into the favor that's already on your life. That's what I'm talking about. We want a full-time God and him to just make up the difference for our part-time devotion. And the cool thing is this, our Bible says this, that when we are faithless, he is faith full. That even when we don't do it, even when we sit when we should stand and we go to sleep when we ought to stay awake and we do all the things we ought not to do, that God doesn't leave, that God doesn't scrap the plan that he has for your life, that God doesn't shake the etch-a-sketch and start over, that he still stays committed Yes, even when you don't. But my challenge to you is what could happen if it wasn't just God committed to this thing? What could happen if it wasn't just God committed to your calling? What could happen if it wasn't just God committed to your life? What could happen? They were committed. And notice what happened on the other side of commitment. Jesus says this, the very first words we hear him say in verse 32, he says this, I have compassion on the multitude. Most of us see that and we're like, oh, Jesus is so sweet, which he is. Don't let me fool you. He is very sweet. But notice which came first. Did the compassion or the commitment come first? The commitment came first and that provoked a compassion within the Lord. He saw their commitment. They've been hanging with me for three days sitting out here in the Israeli sun, no food. And they've been hanging on my every word. I all of a sudden feel compassion them. Now, if you follow me on Instagram, you may have already heard me say this because I posted a clip about it uh, probably a week or two ago. But this word, compassion—you have to remember—the Bible wasn't written in English, okay? The Bible wasn't. So the, this particular verse was originally in, the, in in Greek, okay? And so this word that we've translated compassion is a Greek word, and that Greek word is the word splagnitosmai. Okay, splagnitsomai, and if you break it down, what it quite literally means is that Jesus' stomach began to hurt. That's what splagnitsomai is. It's not just this emotional, I have so much compassion on you. It's a literal, my body is reacting to what I'm seeing. My stomach hurts. Notice this, Jesus' stomach started to hurt when their stomachs were empty. Jesus' stomach began to hurt when he saw that their stomachs were empty. And the crazy thing is, this you can do a study. I mean, you, you can try to prove me wrong, but you won't. Okay. Um, every time we see this, Jesus was moved with compassion. A crazy miracle is on the other side. Every single time you said it says Jesus felt compassion or was filled with compassion. You always see a crazy miracle. And I just have something I want to suppose to you tonight. Maybe the miraculous hasn't broken out in your life. Maybe your breakthrough hasn't. Hasn't shown up because you haven't gotten empty enough yet. What I'm here to say is, maybe your stomach's still full. And I'm not just talking about literal prayer and fasting, which I think is included. I don't think pr- prayer and fasting is some old hat thing that the church doesn't need to participate in anymore. That the church just, can I tell you, I fast every single week. That's not me bash. That's not me boasting. That's just me saying it's it's my basic Christian duty. To seek the Lord, to not just feel a goose bump and say, I guess God wants to meet with me, but just know every day I wake up, the Lord has something for me. And honestly, can I just be really honest if I'm gonna tell you about that? Let me tell you the, the other side of the coin. I didn't do that for a long time. I went years of my life offering part-time devotion and demanding full-time attention from the Lord. What I'm here to say is, and I wanna just talk about literal prayer and fasting. What I really want you to see is maybe your stomach is full of something that's not Jesus. Can you imagine they're sitting there at this, at this event that Jesus is throwing and he's preaching? Imagine like this being like passion conference, okay? And Jesus is the keynote speaker for three days straight. There is no breaks, he is just going, he's just gonna be talking, okay? We've got the, you know, the Mercedes Benz Stadium filled up in, in Georgia and all of a sudden you hit a certain point and you go, you know what, um, I'm a little hungry. I think we could skip this session. Let's go to the, let's go to the let's go to the concession stand. I think we could skip this session. I mean, Jesus has been talking for two days straight, okay? Like he's gonna say something new. All right, let's go. But nobody did that. But listen to me, that's what we do all the time. We go, hey, I, I want this Jesus stuff, but honestly, like I'm kind of getting hungry, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go feed on the things of this world. And listen to me, I don't wanna be one of those preachers that does the cliche things of, you need to stay away from the things of this world. But listen to me, the things of this world will never satisfy. I, I, I can't change the, in, the unchangeable. As old hat as it sounds, as boring as it sounds, as religious as it sounds, it's true. The things of this world do not satisfy. And some of you, you are so full of this world, you can't be full of Jesus. And maybe the reason the miraculous that splugnitzomai has not kicked in is because your stomach isn't empty yet. It's hard for God to fill what's already full. It's hard for God to pour in where you've been, it's hard for God to be your provider when you've been providing for yourself just fine. And sometimes we've got to allow ourselves, listen to me, you've got to allow yourself to get into a deficit so that you can see He is enough. He's enough. All of a sudden, the, He has compassion on this multitude. And Jesus says, that, You know, He says, like, we're, we need to feed them. I don't want them to faint on the journey. So all of a sudden, the disciples say this. Let's throw it up, verse 32. Or excuse me, I think it's verse 33. Verse 33, I think it should just be all by itself. It says this, the disciples replied, Where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Did you notice what they just said? Let me tell you what they didn't say, and then you'll notice what they said. They did not say, Where would we get enough food for such a huge crowd? They said, Where do we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Like Jesus, hey, I think that's cute that you wanna help them. I think that's cute that your stomach's hurting. I know their stomachs have been hurting for three days. We were trying to get you to shut up, okay? Um, but I, I think that's real nice, Jesus, but we are in the wilderness. Wilderness, by definition, is provisionless. It's desolate. It's empty. It's null. It's void. There's not a gas station for miles. We're in the wilderness, Jesus. Notice what they are proving. They are proving that they believe the wilderness is more powerful than Jesus. And that's your issue. Is the devil has convinced you your wilderness is more powerful than the one who stands in it with you. Jesus comes up to you and says, hey, here's what I wanna do in your life. And you go, that's cute, Jesus. I think we could probably do that, but we can't do it here. Like we can't do it with me in this state like the things that I have going on in my head, the battles that I have, the issues that I have, let's be honest, the sin that I am entangled in, yeah, Jesus, we, we can't do that. We can't do that here. And if you are feeling that way, it's because you believe your wilderness is more powerful than Jesus. And I just came here to foil the enemy's schemes tonight and just remind you, there is nothing, come hell or high water, that is more powerful than the name that is above every name, that at this mention of that name, every power in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, the Father. Your wilderness is not more powerful than Jesus. It's not. I don't think it's a coincidence that last week I preached on on Jesus being in the wilderness and now I'm preaching about you being in the wilderness. God has something here. God has set this up in some divine sequence. He wants to get your attention tonight. I know you're in a wilderness. I know there's no provision. I know it's desolate. I know it's bleak. I know you know no way out. (sighs) But here's what they're doing, let me tell you. Here's what the disciples are doing. They are choosing to stay subject to their situation and their surroundings instead of their Savior. They are choosing to stay subject to where they are rather than who is there with them. You know, this reminds me, there's a story that Jesus, he doesn't tell, he lives it. It's found in Mark chapter 11. It puzzled me for years. I'll be honest, it bothered me for years. If you don't have passages of the Bible that bother you, you aren't studying the Bible right, okay? There are still passages that bother me. I'm like, why is this in here? I can't rectify this. I don't understand this, okay? But there was one passage in Mark 11 that used to bother me, and I'm reminded of it now. Mark 11, Jesus is hungry. It's a theme here tonight. Jesus is hungry and walks up to a fig tree And all of a sudden he begins to rustle through the leaves and there are no figs on the fig tree. And he gets upset and he curses the fig tree. He literally curses it. He says, no one will ever eat from you ever again. And all of a sudden I read that in Mark chapter 11, I'm like, whoa, where did meek and mild Jesus go? Okay, he's cursing trees. What is this about? Like, what's the deal? And notice this, this is what really puzzled me. Here it is. The Bible says this, it was not the time or the season for figs. So Jesus is getting mad at a tree for not having figs when it's not even the season for figs. Like Jesus, they're not supposed to grow. I could imagine Jesus like in the prime fig season, he walks up, thinks that surely this tree will have a fig on it. It is prime time for these figs and goes to rustle in the, in the, in the leaves and there's no figs and him cursing it because that tree was already pretty much dead. I could imagine that happening, but in a season, where it's okay for a fig tree to not produce figs? Why would he curse it? I had a hard time with this until the Lord showed me why. It's because, the, you understand, creation knows its creator. That's what the Bible says. Creation, all of creation. If you and I don't praise, the Bible says this, the rocks will, go, will grow lips, gums, and tongues, and they will begin to cry out to God. You understand, that's what the Bible says. Creation knows its creator. And Jesus walks up to a fig tree even though it's in a season where figs don't belong and demands a fig and the tree chooses to stay subject to its season when it's in the presence of eternity. And how many of us do the same thing? I'm in the presence of eternity, but I'm staying subject to my season. Maybe you're in a season of doubt. Maybe you're in a season of fear season of discontentment, a season of disappointment. Some of you, somebody in here tonight is in a season of disappointment. Yes. And the Lord comes to you tonight and he says, will you choose to stay subject to your season in the presence of your savior? Who do you bow more to, your season or me? I'm eternity, I don't have seasons. My Bible says this, that God does not change like, change like shifting shadows, he stays the same, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you choosing to stay, to stay subject to your season in the presence of your savior? This is what the disciples are saying. We can't get food for them. We're in the wilderness, Jesus. We're smack dab in the middle of the wilderness. And here's the kicker. Some of you, this whole time when I read the verse, you were like, Kenan, um, I think the Bible has a misprint. I think your Bible's broken. There were five loaves and two fish, And your Bible said there were seven loaves and a few fish. Your Bible's messed up, Kenan. We can't trust it. Now you have to remember this. Jesus did this twice. (laughs) There are two different instances when Jesus feeds a multitude using bread and fish. Here's the crazy thing, and this is why I bring this up. The first time, this is the second time Jesus does this, the time we're reading about. You know when the last time he did it was? We're in Matthew 15. It was in Matthew 14. He did it one chapter ago. He just did it. He just fed a bigger multitude. That was 5,000. This is 4,000. He just did it. And the disciples have completely forgotten. They're saying, Jesus, this cannot be done. We're in the middle of the wilderness. What are you even thinking? We don't have enough food. Jesus, is like, dude, I, okay. You know what I call this? I call it spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. It's when all of a sudden the enemy gets you so wrapped up in your season that you forget the season of provision you just experienced. You begin to forget everything that God has already done in your life. Do you have spiritual amnesia? Are you forgetting the things that God has done? Are you forgetting that he has never failed anyone and he is not going to start with the likes of you? Are you forgetting who your God is? Our God does not return in kind. Our God does not treat you the way you treat him. And I'm so thankful for that. You know what Jesus said? He says, do good to those who hate you. He said this, love your enemy. You know why Jesus tells us to do that? Because that's what God does. We think that when we're an enemy of God, that God treats us as an enemy. No, God never breaks his word. He loves his enemy. He prays for those who persecute him. The Bible says that right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And you know what he's doing? He's making intercession for you. That's fancy terminology for praying for you. He is praying for you. He's holding and pulling you back with invisible string, saying, don't wander too far. Don't go that way. That's not what I have for you. You weren't built for that. Come back to me. That's what Jesus is doing right now for you. Sorry, I got a little worked up got to let my heart calm down. (laughs) But that's who he is. That's who your God is. He just did it for him a moment ago. (laughs) These, These dudes have already forgotten. So Jesus does this. Look at this. He does this in verse 34. Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? Notice this, they just said, there is not enough bread in the wilderness for us to do this, and Jesus doesn't even acknowledge that they're in the wilderness. He doesn't talk about the wilderness. Notice what he talks about, he talks about them. Notice what Jesus is doing. This is so rich, don't miss this. He is making a distinction between them and their wilderness. And that's what somebody needed to hear tonight. I felt that so strong in my freaking heart that somebody needed to understand, you are not your wilderness. You're not. The wilderness doesn't have loaves. The wilderness doesn't have what it needs. That doesn't mean you don't. And many of us have identified with our wilderness so intimately that we think we are that. You are not the wildernesses you've walked through. You're not. Young ladies in here, let me me tell you right now. I know I'm not that much older than you, but let me just speak as a father over you. You are not the wildernesses you have willfully walked through. You are not what has been done to you. You are not the things that others have said about you or the things you've even said about you. You're not your wilderness. Gentlemen, let me talk to you. You're not your wilderness. You're not what your dad has said about you. You're not what they said about you or say about you in the locker room. You're not what the what, what 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 the news has to say about you and what this world has to say about people who live like you. You are not your wilderness. Jesus begins to make a delineation. He has to get them to understand. I understand you are in the wilderness, but that doesn't make you yourself a wilderness. The same way coming into church doesn't make you a Christian. You can go sit in your garage and you're never going to be a car. You're not You are never gonna turn into a BMW. I am so sorry to tell you, it's just not happening. Where you walk doesn't determine who you are. Where you came from determines who you are. And I'm here to tell you tonight, you did not come from your mom and your dad and you are not limited by your last name. Somebody needs to hear this right now. You are not limited by the last name you inherited when you came into this world. Our Bible says this, that when you die, listen to me, when you die and you go to heaven, that the Lord is gonna hand you a stone. And on it is going to be inscribed a name. And it will be the name that was always your name. Mine will not be Kenan. Kenan is the name my mom and dad gave me. But on that stone that the Lord puts in my hand will be inscribed my real name. And I won't be associated with all the failures Kenan experienced that this flesh and and blood and bone and sinew committed. I will be identified with the name that nobody else has, only me. That's the name that the Lord calls you by. No wonder you're intimidated because you don't associate with it. You don't associate with Hephzibah. It just means beloved. You don't associate with the name that he calls you. You don't associate with your true identity. And listen to me, you are not your wilderness. The Bible is so much better than you realize. Some of y'all didn't even know that the Lord actually calls you a different name than Kenan or... Michael or Bailey. Some of y'all don't even realize that you need to get in the book. It's good stuff. I'm happy to teach you though. Jesus says this, notice he says, how many fish, or excuse me, how many loaves? He says this, how many loaves do you have? Notice this. So then all of a sudden they go, all right, Jesus, we'll go look. So they go over, Peter, bring your backpack over here. Okay. Open it up they're rummaging through. We're just going to go and do this because Jesus told us to. And they're like, okay, we have seven loaves and hold hold on a second. And a few fish. Notice this, Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? And upon investigating the loaves, they found out they also had fish. Listen to me, what I'm trying to get you to see is you might have more than you think if you would take another look. And I'm not just talking about taking a look at your life. I'm not just talking about taking a look at, at your surroundings. I'm talking about taking a look at the book. I'm talking about who you actually are, that there are promises in here you're not, you're not actually invoking. There are words in here you're not standing on. There are things in here that are meant for you. You are not decreeing and declaring over your life. There is so much readily available, you just don't even realize it's there. He says, how many loaves you got? And they're like, oh, we got seven loaves. Oh, wow, and... A few fish. We even got some fish. So here's the crazy thing. Jesus says, Give it to me. Give it to me. And you guys know the story. I mean, you're geniuses. They fork the they fork the loaves and fish. And honestly, this is where I begin to wind down. So if I can have somebody come and play behind me, they fork the, they fork it over to Jesus, and all of a sudden all of a sudden he takes it and let's just read what he does. Matthew 15, verse 36, it says this. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish. Listen to this. And thanked God for them and broke them into pieces. Notice, he takes their seven loaves and their few fish and he doesn't immediately do a miracle and then go, thank you, God. You did a miracle. Notice what he does he thanks the Lord while it's still not enough. Jesus thanked God while it still wasn't enough. And here, let me ask you this. When was the last time you thanked God when you didn't have enough? When was the last time you opened your Wells Fargo app and held it up? And it's, it, maybe it's in the red, okay? And you hold it up to the Lord and you go, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I even have a bank account, that somehow you could whisper the routing number and the account number too, and they could wire me some money. Thank you, Lord, that I know that you are my provider. When was the last time you thanked God even though it wasn't enough? Jesus thanked God for the seven loaves and the few fish, even though seven loaves and a few fish are not going to do the trick. And I would think this, if Jesus needed to do it, how much more do you? How much more do you need to take what God has already given you and say, God, thank you. Some of you, you're, you're, you're I'm trying to watch my language, but I'm not gonna cuss, but just use harsh language and I don't like doing that. Some of you gripe about the friends that you have. Wishing God for better friends. God, these friends aren't gonna open doors for me. God, these friends, they don't don't pay attention to me. They don't love me. Why don't you begin to thank God for the friends that you have? Why would, if if, if you treated your new friends the same way you treat your old friends, why would God give them to you? If you treat your new job the same way, with the same diligence and the same integrity you treat your current job, why would God trust you with one? If you treat the next girl the same way you treat your last girl, why would God entrust you with somebody new? If you treat your last guy, (laughs) When was the last time you thanked God even when it wasn't enough? That's what Jesus did. He takes the seven loaves and the fish. He says, Yep, this ain't going to feed a multitude, but I'm going to thank God for it anyway. Thank you. And then the craziest thing is, he begins to break it into pieces. And the Bible says this that all of a sudden they hand out the pieces and it feeds everybody. Let's read it Matthew chapter 15, verse 37. They all ate as much as they wanted. They all ate. All of them that were there ate. All that were there ate. There are two words in that sentence I wanna call your attention to. The first one is this, all, they all Hey, listen to me, there is not a place you can go at the foot of the cross where the blood of Jesus will not reach you. You cannot be too bad, you cannot be too good, you can't be too in between. If you will just come to the foot of the cross, all who are there will eat. But the second word I wanna call your attention to is all who were there. You had to be there. I hate to break it to you, but not everybody is going to heaven. There's this idea that is permeating the church right now that everybody's saved. The Bible does not allude to that. The Bible alludes much more to the other side. Not everybody's going to make it. And making it is not about how good you are. It's how good do you believe Jesus was? How good do you believe he is on your behalf? Not how long did you stay clean? Not how many years were you sober? Jesus is not going to look at your resume when you get to heaven. He's going to say, Do you have the blood or do you not? You got my blood? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Come into your Father's rest. All who were there, there. Imagine the people who left an hour before this took place. They couldn't hang on any longer they didn't get fired. All who were there. And notice this, the Bible says this, throw that last verse up one more time. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. Seven large baskets. I was sitting there, I was reading this and I, I always ask God to show me the gospel in every story. That's a little hack you can do. I always say, God, show me the gospel. I know there's a gospel thread in this story, show it to me. And the Lord took me to that verse right there. And all of a sudden he said, seven baskets left over. Can I tell you that's the gospel? Here's why it's the gospel. How many loaves did they offer Jesus? Seven loaves. They offered seven loaves and walked away with seven basket loads. That's the gospel. You offer, you know what the number of seven, you know what the number seven means theologically? Everyone says it means perfection. Yes, it means perfection, but it also speaks of completion. Seven literally speaks of completely and totally giving yourself to something. They gave seven. They gave it all. They gave everything that they had, and Jesus let them walk away with seven baskets full. That is the great exchange. That is the gospel. That if you will give your life, your seven loaves, you're not enough to Jesus. He will give you His righteousness. He will give you His blank slate. He will give you His perfect report card. He will give you His right. Standing with the Father. That's the gospel. Is that unfair? You bet. It's unfair that Jesus would do it this way. But if it were fair, it couldn't be called grace. The only reason we can call it grace is because it's not fair. You give your life of sin to Jesus and he gives you. Golly. He gives you his life. And I feel that there are some people in here that you've allowed your wilderness to keep you from Jesus for too long. Maybe you've never actually hung around for the seven baskets left over. Maybe you've been tempted to leave. Some of you right now, I mean, I've preached for maybe 45 minutes and you're already like, this sermon's too long. My God. Maybe you've never had it in you. And tonight you can feel the Lord pulling, saying, give me your seven. I wanna give you seven basket loads. Give me your sins, son. Here's the crazy thing, and this is where I literally land the plane. I never saw this before today. This is crazy, it blew my mind. The scene of this moment ends here, Matthew chapter 15, they're done. They've got seven basket loads and they leave. If you flip over to the next chapter, They left with seven basket loads of bread. You flip over to the next chapter, Matthew 16, and you read verse five. You get five verses after they just accepted seven basket loads of bread. It says this, Matthew 16, five. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Five verses later. And I feel there's somebody in here tonight. Your problem is not that God hasn't given you the bread. Your problem is not that God hasn't supplied your needs. Your problem is, that, is not that God hasn't forgiven your sins. It's that you keep forgetting the bread. Listen to me, you're not the breadwinner. You know what the word breadwinner means? It means the person who makes the money in the home. The breadwinner is the person who brings home the most money in the household. You are not the breadwinner in the house of God. The Lord is the breadwinner. But listen to me you're the bread rememberer. I know rememberer is not a word, but it is right now. Thank you, Tony. You may not be the breadwinner, but listen to me, you've got to be the bread rememberer. You can't leave this moment where you felt the Lord speak to your heart. He pricked you right in the place that you needed it, and then go to your cubicle tomorrow and forget your bread at home. You can't come in here and sit in church and allow the Lord to do this, and then go back into those hard spaces, go back into the wilderness and forget your bread. Five verses later, they're breadless. I felt the Lord wanted to either tell somebody tonight, I'm your breadwinner, meaning I, I, I've already done it for you. It's, it's, maybe tonight's your night to get saved or tonight you needed to be reminded that you are the bread rememberer. It's time to remember what Jesus has done. It's time to build yourself up and encourage yourself in the Lord. That's what King David did. Anytime he got discouraged, the Bible says this, that he would encourage himself in the Lord. Some of you, you think your friends, they're like, you you know, you get mad at them or maybe your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you get mad because you're like, they don't guard my heart. The Bible never says it's anyone else's job to guard your heart but yours. The only person's job it is to guard your heart is your job. It is not your spouse, I should say, your spouse should always guard your heart because now their heart is your heart because you are one. Okay, I will give you that. But it's not your friend's job. It is your job to guard your heart. It's your job to remember your bread. It's your job to remember what he did for you. It's your job to drag what he did for you into this se- in that season and bring it into this one. And right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a moment of privacy and concentration, I wanna give you an opportunity to either allow Jesus to be your breadwinner, that it's not by might, it's not by power, and it, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. If that is you, you are ready to give your life to Jesus. Listen to me, you can't prepare for everything he's gonna call you to do after this, but you can stay committed. Say, God, I'm committed to you because you're committed to me. But I also feel there's a second group of people who would say, you know what, Kenan and I I, just, I understand that Jesus has won me my bread. I understand that he's the miracle worker, not me. But I have failed to for, I have failed to bring my bread into this season. I have failed to remember the bread that he's already given me. And if that's you tonight, when I count to three, if you fall within one of those two categories, I'd just like you to shoot your hand up at the count of three, just as a sign of surrender and faith. One, now is your moment. Two, don't hesitate. Three, if that's you, hands going up quite literally all over this room. Don't let pride keep you, your hand down. Don't let pride squelch your faith and strangle your faith in this moment. Let your faith rise, let your faith rise. Anyone else under the sound of my voice that needs prayer tonight, needs prayer tonight. Leave your hand raised, I'm gonna pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every hand that's raised to heaven because that hand represents a heart that has just said yes to you. Lord, I thank you that you are doing again what no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it come into the hearts of man what you have prepared for those who love you. Lord, I thank you right now that your grace wipes the slate clean. There is no more sin. There's no more shame. There's no more guilt. It has been thrown as far as the east is from the west. It has been tossed into the sea of forgetfulness. You remember it no more. Lord, in the moments we are tempted to remember our sin, allow us to remember the bread, the bread of life, Jesus who died for us and his sin, His sacrifice covers our sin once and for all. Let your grace flow now in this moment, God. Lord, I even just thank you for those watching online. Lord, I thank you that you move now like never before. Lord, I thank you that you are delivering them. Lord, that you are stretching your hand even through this screen. There is no distance in the spirit. The same God that is moving right here is moving right there. Whether you're watching live or you're in the archive, God set this moment up for you. Lord, move Thank you now, Lord, for what you and you alone can do and what you've done. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen, amen. Come on, can we put our hands together for what Jesus did?